Welcome everyone to Check Yourself, a podcast aimed at helping you live your best and healthiest life. I'm Leah Burkhart, a health educator at the Community Health Education Center, or CHECK, and today I have the privilege of introducing you to Frida Ryan Anzer. Frida is a registered nurse and currently works as a nurse manager at Salem Health. She recently helped put together a study that she and her colleagues will be launching in the next few weeks or so. It's inspired by the work of Harvard professor Sean Acor, a positive psychologist, author, and TED Talk extraordinaire. The idea for the study was born shortly after a group of nurses chose to gather for a book club. They chose to read Aker's book, The Happiness Advantage, where Aker explains the benefits we all glean when we prioritize joy in our lives. After reading the book, the group decided to put some of his tools to the test. Can applying some of these basic positive psychology principles really help people who work right on the front lines in healthcare? during one of our most infamous pandemics in recent history. In our conversation, Frida explains the purpose of the study, as well as the nuts and bolts of it. What she also does, without necessarily trying to, is illustrate what it means to be a true leader. Nursing is a field that often attracts those who want to serve. That's a beautiful thing, but many in the field report that it's challenging to justify practicing self-care on a regular basis. When you have people who live to serve, it stands to reason that it would be hard for that same group to shift gears and, quote-unquote, put their own mask on first. What researchers on leadership often report is that having even one leader in place who is willing to model self-care behavior can go a long way toward helping others give themselves permission to do the same. As you listen to the conversation, I feel confident that you'll agree with me when I say that Frida is not only an intelligent healthcare worker, but a terrific example of what leadership can look like when it's at its best. I hope you enjoy it. With that, meet Frida. Okay, so hello everybody. Uh, Today we've got Frida Anzer on our show today. Hello, Frida. Hello. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about a study that you've, you're participating in, helped facilitate, and it's regarding the happiness advantage. Yes, that's right. So we are, um, it's, the, it's based on the book by um, Sean Acor called The Happiness Advantage. Um, and we are, um, we did kind of a trial, some trial groups last, or maybe it was two years, two years ago, did some trials with just small groups around the, the Salem Health, um, arena, I guess mainly just hospital employees. And, um, we decided to formalize it into a research project, Mm -hmm. um, because we, we got, we get, we kind of gathered some preliminary data, but we didn't you know, follow the strict research protocols that you need to have validated data um, to prove that you've made a difference or not. So, um, so starting in March, we um, are recruiting for any hospital employees or um, uh, physicians that are associated with the, with the hospital or Salem Health um, to um, to sign up. And you'll be either assigned to a control group or the experimental group. And the experimental group will read The Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor and then participate in a 21-day challenge um, that's associated with the principles that are in the book and kind of trialing it out in your life. And, and he has some research about how 21 days is sort of the, is, can be a significant uh, time frame in which to make a, a, a big change in your life. So that's why why we picked 21 days. Mm -hmm. And um, so we're gonna, we're recruiting, we have a max of um, 100, or excuse me, 200 um, participants. And um, we will conclude the study in March of of 2022. And uh, we're just excited to see what, you know, hopefully promoting more happiness in the hospital and around Salem Health and um, hoping to see what, what comes of it. That's phenomenal. So 
how, just to back up a little bit, um, uh-huh. I'd love to hear a little bit more about you. So how did you, to begin with, get into the role that you are? So what role do you occupy currently and how did you land here? So um, I've been with the hospital for 14 years now. Wow. And, well, 14 years in July. Um, and I um, currently, should back up and say what I'm now, <laughs> I'm currently one of the assistant night shift managers on um, the oncology unit. And I've actually been with the oncology unit in various forms since for my whole time here at Salem Hospital. Um, and I moved to the, um, the assistant manager role about two years ago. And uh, I just, it's, it's, it's funny how time flies because it feels like I, just, I was just like a newbie not too long ago and now people were like, wow, 14 years, you've been here for a really long time. So <laughs> it's just kind of surprising how, how it comes. But. Um, I found my my little niche, my, my home in, in oncology, and I really love the, like the population and um, our staff, and uh, just really enjoy enjoy being there, and, and and enjoy being in the leadership role now, and helping kind of support our night shift team and keeping things going. <laughs> what do you like best about it? Um, gosh. About being, about my role? Yeah, like, because you said enjoy being in the leadership role. Yeah. I'm um, just curious. What is it about it that you find the most pleasurable or rewarding? I I like just um, trying to help support our staff and help them feel like they have what they need to do, you know, take the best possible care of our patients. And, um, I I mean, it can be a really, it can be a a demanding and, and emotionally challenging uh, place to work just with what people are dealing with and um, you know trying to help people have the resources that they need and support the step in and help out when when we need them to and um, yeah I guess that's what I what I find most fulfilling mm-hmm. and, and starting out it's it's exciting to see new new nurses start out and you know they're just trying to find their way and then just watching them learn and grow that's really exciting and you know yeah it's it's a, it's amazing. I'm just so impressed with the new, well, our existing nurses, but also just the new nurses that are starting and and learning them, see them grow in their knowledge and and develop a passion for this population. Absolutely. So how was it? You know, so here you are in this leadership role. Uh-huh. What was it that led you to want to instigate this as a, a study, as a a project to work on for your team? Well, so, um, so, at, uh, there's, so I'm not sure that it's the best way to talk about this. So at, there's a magnet. I don't know if you've talked about this in your podcast at all, but we are a magnet hospital, no, which no, means it's great. It's <laughs> I don't want to delve too much into the technical, but, um, no, so we are a magnet hospital and we, um, which means that, um, and we've been certified three times now, mm-hmm. um, which is it's a major effort, and the or- whole organization has to like put a lot into maintaining that certification. But being a magnet hospital means that we that the that nurses have um, a major leadership role in the decisions that are made, both from you know starting at the top. So our CEO um, Cheryl, she's our she's a nurse, and then we have our um, chief nursing Off- officer Sarah Horn. Um, but then it also needs to extend down to the frontline staff and that they have a role in, in what in the d- decisions that are made. And we have our shared governance um, council that meets um, housewide to make decisions and also just on the unit level. So we have to provide evidence that that's that the, the nurses are influencing those those um, decisions and also doing things like you know research and also we have to have excellent um, clinical outcomes that we have to show that our um, hospital inquired infection rates are low, um, that our patients don't fall and injure themselves very much, um, uh, just all of those things that show that uh, the quality in- indicators of a hospital. So, um, so anyway, so that's what Magnet is and uh-huh. then um, so a couple of years ago, or maybe it was like three years ago, my manager, um, Sarah Nash, um, and some other people that were attended a one of the magnet conferences, there's one every year, where all the hospitals kind of meet, that are certified or trying to be certified meet together, share their new knowledge. Um, somebody, one of the other hospitals shared that they had tried this book and done kind of a, 
a little study to see about increasing um, happiness. They hadn't done a formal research um, thing, but they wanted, they heard about this book and wanted to give it a try. And so there was a small group of us that met um, from our unit, oncology, and from the emergency department and um, the intensive care unit. And then Paul here, our librarian, he was a part of that. And Nancy Dunn, who's our kind of magnet champion and leader for uh -huh. the hospital all met together and we did our own little book club around the happiness advantage uh -huh. um, and really found it to be, and we collected data on measuring our happiness at the beginning of the challenge and at, at the end um, and we found it to be very meaningful for us and um, wanted to spread that throughout the hospital and see see if it was also meaningful for others and increase their happiness awesome what were some of like when you read the book The mm -hmm. Happiness? Because I've I've listened to the TED Talk from Showmaker, oh, okay. uh -huh. and I, I've read I read The Happiness Advantage many moon ago, um, <laughs> but then I recently read his Super Bounce. So when I was talking to Paul about mm -hmm. this study that's going on, I'm like, Oh my God, I know Shawnaker. You know, mm -hmm. he's I, I'm such a nerd fan. <laughs> and what you know, so I know a little bit about him and his his ability to really engage an audience in a way that's mm -hmm. not super clinical. He's he's really talking to you like a person mm -hmm. and saying, Hey, this is really this is evidence based stuff, but he doesn't have to use the words evidence based. Mm -hmm. He's um really pragmatic, I guess is the word. Yeah. And so when I given that I've it's been so long since I've read it, <laughs> I'm just curious about you know, maybe perhaps you've read it more recently. What were some of your biggest, the things that snagged your attention the most in terms of the advice that he gives? What were some of the highlights uh -huh. that you remember from the book? Um, I, I think the big thing that kind of, I was, I was kind of skeptical at first. I was a little bit like, I don't know, self-help books. And, you know, um, I was questioning, questioning the, if it, the effectiveness of it. But, um, what really snagged my attention um, was he was talking about the plasticity of the brain, which basically just means that you, your brain can change even, you know, when you're an adult or, you know, and if you just, depending on where you decide to focus your learning and your attention. And he was talking about how, um, how like um, monks that meditated, they had like the certain part of their brain that, that does that, that like it was, Enlarge, you know, it had enlarged, or um, people that who decided that they could learn another language even when they were older, like that, that there was that potential that was there, and that um, kind of if you set your mind to something, you know, mm -hmm. that, that happiness isn't, you know, you don't have this natural like, well, I'm a happy person, or I'm not a happy, or I'm kind of a grumpy person. That that's not like some sort of set state that you live in and you have to just deal with, but you you can be like, well, I. I I'm gonna focus my attention on, on being happier or trying these new things, and and I there's a chance to make that kind of change. And he had lots of examples of how that worked, and and including the science to back it up, which sort of the nerd in me was like, ooh, you know, there's, yes. <laughs> there's something to support it. It's not just words. So, so I think that's what what really what the, the the things that I got from that. And he has like very specific principles and ideas around it. But I think you know overall that's. When I think of that book, that's what I got from it and what drew drew me to it. That makes sense, mm -hmm. yeah. Does he speak at all about, I guess the phrase would be toxic positivity, sort of like the, an overemphasis on always being happy versus cultivating a sense of contentment? Like, does he discern between those two things at all? Oh, yeah, he spends quite a bit of time... Um, sort of, you know, trying to define happiness, which is, you know, it, for the purposes of our research project, we talked about that and measuring it. And um, he was, I, th I think he was careful to say that it's not, you're not walking around with a smile plastered on your face all the time, or he didn't talk about toxic po positivity as much. I feel like that's more of a, um, I mean, his, this, his book was published 11 years ago, I want to say. I feel like that's more of a recent term, yeah. although I think it could definitely be like applied to the book and he would uh, say, say to avoid it. But, um, uh, he, yeah, he spent, he spent some time talking about d defining happiness and he talked, one thing that resonated with me, he talked about like flourishing, I guess, which was nice. Yeah. Um, and, and I also, I guess in terms of my sort of personal happiness 
um, definition, I think, of sort of a overarching contentment, which does not mean that you're, you know, bouncing around like, I'm so happy, you know, but you just sort of overall have a, a contentment of life and you can deal with the, you know, the really bad days and also the really good days of it, sort mm -hmm. of a baseline of... <laughs> Yeah, I'm thinking of the Rumi poem that I, of course, won't be able to, you know, br bring uh -huh. forth verbatim, yeah. <laughs> but I loved this concept of, you know, like when you're thinking about all the emotions that you experience uh -huh. in a day, um, open your doors and invite them all, like mm -hmm. whether it's sadness or anger or joy or what have you. Mm -hmm. And what it seems to me like Sean Aker, along with many positive psychologists, are striving for is a sort of... Um, a, a a desire to help people make peace with so not just to always feel happy but mm -hmm. to open yourself up to feeling everything yeah I think I think that's really true and being ready to deal with the you know the changes that are gonna come come for come come to you mm -hmm. um, he did talk about I think like for lead the importance for leaders to model sort of you know your behavior and I guess um, not that's not being like not sure the best way to say this, but to, to project a, a positive attitude around others. And, and he had examples of how that would bring people up. And, you know, mm. he had something like the Lasada line, which is like having sort of three positive comments for every one negative comment. He's, or he said that, that it was a ratio. The Lasada line was 2.9, which is basically three, <laughs> three, three comments for every one negative thing that you say. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's funny. I read, uh, I want to say it was the, the Buddha's brain or something, mm -hmm. but there was this notion that uh, it, it takes about 10 good things to happen mm -hmm. in a day to counteract the response or the, the impact of one negative. Yeah. But engaging in exercises like what Sean Aker brings mm -hmm. to the table will help diminish that potency of mm -hmm. the negative because you're gearing your brain to focus on the positive. Yeah. That was my sense of it, at least. Yeah. I've been also reading, I mean, not to leave Sean Aker too much, but I've also been um, reading um, Gretchen Rubin, who's also, like, done a lot of writing about happiness. And I don't know, are you familiar with her at all? I've heard of her, but I yeah. haven't read her book. She wrote, like, well, she's written several now. She wrote The Happiness Project, which was in yes. 2009, and she, where she basically, like, spent a year... Um, exp basically experimenting with different uh, different aspects of her life each month <laughs> to like improve happiness mm -hmm. and uh, it's a little it's not quite as she has some science in there it's not quite as sciencey as uh, a Sean Aker's book but one of the things just to get back to what you were talking about is one of her principles that she found or that she liked was act the way you want to feel mm. and I kind of like that like for myself like oh if I'm feeling really cranky you can like really get invested in like, oh gee, I'm really in a bad mood. And then kind of like cascades from there, like, you know, something breaks or you drop something or, and then, but if you can be like, okay, I want to feel like I'm in a good mood, then you're not so invested in like, I'm really cranky. And so, <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Well, I know you mentioned that he spends a lot of time talking about the definition of happiness. Uh -huh. uh, what is your sense of his definition? And I promise I'm not going to hold you to it and <laughs> go back in the book and be like, no, you misquoted him. I just mean, like, if you were to paraphrase your sense of how he's defining happiness, mm -hmm. what would it be? Um, he, yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to remember what he, the, the flourishing part of it was, it was, it was kind of an overall sort of sense of being ad adaptive to change and, and flourishing, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's almost about being nimble. So I don't know if he uses this analogy. Uh -huh. I don't know where I'm getting it from, but I remember a person uh, mm -hmm. using the analogy of uh, sort of a pine tree versus a palm tree. Uh-huh. Oh. And uh, he said, you know, and it was kind of referring to resiliency mm -hmm. and in that regard. So it's mm -hmm. like if you had to choose one, which one would you choose? Well, Western culture often tells us that we want to be pine trees, you know, uh -huh. firm, tall, you know, sturdy suckers. Mm -hmm. And in reality, it's people who flourish or mm -hmm. who are resilient are more like palm trees. And mm -hmm. you'd think that the pine tree would be more, again, tough, mm -hmm. but 
send a hurricane in that direction and the pine tree falls and falls oh, hard. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But send one to a palm tree and the palm mm-hmm. tree can just bounce right back mm-hmm. up. I mean, maybe not all the time, there, but there's a, a measure of flexibility and adaptability. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I think that's definitely part of what he, what he really advocates for. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like the ability to navigate change, positive mm-hmm. and negative. Mm-hmm. Yes. Interesting. What are some of the exercises that he encourages people to explore? Um, well, let's see. Um, he talks about, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. One of the things that he talked about is how having a sort of a positive association or positive, a small positive thing can really uh, improve your, your work performance. And so he talks about like this exercise that was done with, um, some physicians and they were provided with a piece of candy. And they found that um, that they're diagnosed, and then they're given like a, some cases to review. And they found that their diagnoses were much more accurate when they had this positive, you know, like this small positive thing, even though it was like a piece of candy. Then huh. <laughs> that somehow, like if you're if you are feeling more happy or positive, then you are your brain is more flexible. Like it's kind of going back to the palm tree sort of example that you and you're able to see more potential things. You're not so like rigidly kind of get the tunnel vision effect of having, um, of having, being fixated on one thing and coming up with the wrong diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So, so we talked about that in our, in our little book club group as, you know, providing or bringing forward something small, like a small treat to, um, to create some positive energy or happiness. Was there people? <laughs> yeah. Was there anything talked? Was there anything discussed as it relates to the person giving the candy versus the one receiving it, or was it solely focused on the one receiving it? I'm just curious. Oh well, that one. You know, I mean, that not that particular one did not talk about it. But one of the other um, exercises or kind of things that he discussed was um, sort of random was practicing random acts of kindness and mm-hmm. that how how much that can um, really increase your your happiness. And that's actually part of our 21 day challenge. It's something that you want to. To, to pick to work on. And so, and I know you talked about it in the beginning, but uh-huh. if you were to break down like the 21 day challenge, uh-huh. what is in like, what are the nuts and bolts of it? What is involved in the 21 day challenge that you're engaged in? Um, so the participants in the study are given a um, journal and this is something that we've, that we kind of developed on our own. This is not from the direct, a direction from the book, but um, mm-hmm. So we're, they're given a journal and there's kind of a list of things that they could choose to work on, including like, um, let's see if I can come up with some of the things from the, off the top of my head. I know. Um, I guess it's on the spot. It's like random <laughs> acts of kindness and then um, like identifying things that you're grateful for. That's a, that was another, that, these are principles from the book. Um, you know, ex, uh, having some sort of daily exercise or, or movement, um, meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that those are the, the top ones. And then you can also have certain things that you want to focus on that you want to other, other things that you want to work on each day. And then, so there's like a, a one page for each day. And then in the midpoint, we came up with sort of a, where you can kind of take a look and see what you, what you pick to work on. And if you want to change that sort of a check and adjust, um, thing at midpoint, midway through. And then, um, but it's just kind of a concrete way to um, give you something to focus on every single day for the 21 challenge. In Sean's, in Sean's book, he, um, he used it for the 21 day challenge. He was talking about trying to learn how to, he wanted to work on playing the guitar, but he couldn't, he like just couldn't do that. I mean, just kept trying different things. And, um, he had, actually, I guess it combined two things, but he had like something called the 20, 20 second challenge where it was, we're kind of setting yourself up for success. Whereas if it was something that all the, the pieces were ready to go for you to work on that thing, then you'd be more likely to do it. So he put his guitar on a prominent place and then he worked on it every day for, for a certain set period of time. Mm-hmm. And then to met his goal of trying to improve his guitar playing. Nice. So, yeah. It almost sounds like, um, the IMB model. So are you familiar with that mm-hmm. at all? So, yeah. Yeah, I, know. I hate it when people, I start going and people are nodding, going, yes, yes, you know, sweet child, I'm aware of the thing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nope. um, it's, so it's information, motivation, and behavioral skills. It's like oh. the equation. Uh-huh. And information is 
what do I need to know to make this thing happen? So like if I wanted to lose weight, what do I need to know about diet and exercise? Uh-huh. Uh, motivation is what is your why? Like what's in uh, it for yeah. you? Uh-huh. If it was weight loss as an example, I mean, weight loss is a beast to have to conquer. Mm-hmm. What do you, do you have to? Is your health contingent upon this thing? If not, why? Just let it go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you do have a strong why, Okay, so then that moves you into the skills. And then the skills is the ecosystem part of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's Sherry, uh, there's Kaplow, and then there's Sherry Pruitt. I don't remember her the first, but it, these two authors got together uh-huh. and they wrote something called Living Smart. And they put it, not smart goals, mm-hmm. smart skills, which I'll be completely honest, I don't know how smart it is in the field of health to have the same acronym for two different things. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was setting a specific goal, uh, uh, sort of marking your, monitoring your progress, so mm-hmm. that's M, arranging your world, so like if you wanted to exercise more, wear oh, yeah. your tennis shoes, uh-huh. that sort of thing. There's recruit support. So are there others that you can, that you're talking to that are holding you accountable and then treat yourself, which, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people think that it's about rewarding the outcome, but it's not, it's rewarding the behavior. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you're trying to save up money, so let's say you're trying to, you know, get better about your finances. It's not about saying, once you save $1,000, you get to go take a trip to blah, blah. Mm -hmm. It's, no, no, no. How do you set it up so that every time you engage in checking your checking account or checking your savings account or whatever, you get some kind of a reward? And that, a lot of people end up getting stumbled. Like, they bumble around going, I don't know how to reward myself. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like Sean Aker had to put some of that in place for himself Mm -hmm. so that he'd be more likely to play the guitar. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, neat. Mm -hmm. And what, you said that um, initially it didn't work out, but he persevered. He continued Mm -hmm. to do it. Mm -hmm. Did he talk at all about, like, if, let's say I'm setting a goal and it just becomes clear at some point, this is not the right goal for me. Like, this is just not resonating. Is his advice to persevere all 21 days before changing? Or is it... Is there a point where he's, he kind of gives the green light saying, okay, go ahead and try something else then if this isn't working? <laughs> I can't remember if he, uh, if he addresses that specifically, gotcha. to be honest. Um, <laughs> that's a good question. I feel like, I guess if you are really like hitting a block though, I mean, I guess I would say from just, you know, if you're hitting a block, it's probably time to do something else, you know? <laughs> it seems like a and Especially line. if it's making you, I mean, if you're just like, hitting your head against the wall (laughs) (laughs) it's like at that point it's no longer like increasing your happiness probably or you know (laughs) yeah like it just seems like a really tough line to walk because on Mm -hmm. the one hand you want to give yourself enough time for it to percolate Mm -hmm. and for you know like exercise if you only give yourself two days well you're going to be sore Mm -hmm. and you know oh yeah hang in there kid but on the other hand you don't want to end up spending a whole bunch of time reinforcing a really negative experience if uh-huh. it, like maybe it's the wrong kind of exercise yeah at what point can you switch so I just didn't know if maybe if that came up in your group at all when you did the book club um I can't remember that specifically but you know I, I guess it would probably be time to like turn around and try try a different approach <laughs> sure talk about being adaptable yeah yeah try something else okay neat in terms of the, like, so you've got it set it up. You've got it set it up. Wow. <laughs> Words are hard today. So you've set this thing up. It's a 21-day challenge. Uh-huh. Is it, like, that's it? So they do 21 days, and it's like, congratulations, here's your survey. You fill out questions. Like, how, how are you uh, collecting data? Yeah, so so they um, so people that are in the experimental group, like, they're reading the, um, they're going to read the book and do the 21-day challenge. They do some, ba- they do some baseline data. It's a survey monkey. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and then um, after they complete the 21-day um, the challenge, then they do another survey. And then I believe at the six-month mark, they do, um, after completing, they do a final survey to kind of see if that, if it's, that's kind of stuck, you know, how, how persistent or how lasting were the effects of reading the book and doing the challenge. Gotcha. So, um, and then our control group, they do um, 
a baseline survey and then a survey at the end of six months just to compare and see, you know, they don't do anything else. Uh -huh. And they have to say that they're not gonna read the book during that time, although they're invited to read it after <laughs> if they'd like to. Especially if it turns out to have been helpful to their peers. Yes, yeah, and, and I'm sure there's probably people that, that, got exp that were placed in the control group that might be disappointed that they're not in it, but there's, you know, their time will come. It's not that they can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> we're also providing them a copy of the, um, of the journal too, if they want to do like the, the 21 day challenge. And I think um, Nancy said also that she, if they want to see their own data too, before and after. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think what I loved most about, at least in the TED talk that he did, um, uh. he talks about how frequently in our culture, we've got this equation set up where we'd say, if you work really hard, then you'll become successful mm -hmm. at whatever it is you're trying to work hard at. And once you're successful, then you'll be happy. Mm -hmm. And through his research, what he's stumbled upon is this notion that, oh, we, we need to flip the equation. Mm -hmm. It turns out if you prioritize happiness and positivity in your life, that will make you more productive. And that increase in productivity is what leads to success. So it's not work hard, success, happiness. It's happiness, productivity, success. And yes. I loved that kind of a switching because especially for people who are givers I'm thinking of nurses in particular mm -hmm. where it might be a challenge to justify to oneself yes I have to take this time just for me when everything in their the fiber of the, every every fiber of their being is saying no I'll get to that later as soon as I've taken care of my patients as soon as I've taken care of my family mm -hmm. as soon as I've taken care of my people and then if there's anything left over, mm -hmm. then I will write some gratitudes in a journal or meditate or exercise or perform, well, I guess acts of service is already sort of notched firmly on their belt. But. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I really, I'm wondering if that's helpful for this particular population in particular, because in my, what I've been told, I'm not a nurse, but what mm -hmm. I've been told is, nurses tend to struggle with practicing self-care, taking breaks, for example, because they um, feel duty-bound and they're just such, I'm using, uh, giver seems like a super, like a superficial word, but is that something you've had experience with as a leader? Oh, yes, yes, it's, yeah, uh, uh, nurses, uh, of course, this is a huge generalization, but yes, we'll tend right. to prioritize the patient's needs over their own. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, many are reluctant to take breaks. Uh -huh. <laughs> so uh, hopefully this will encourage people to prioritize that self-care. I feel like for me personally, it has encouraged me to take better care of myself and to, to prioritize some things for myself too. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a big problem for nurses uh, because they, they want to give so much and they, because they care about their patients, but also need to recognize that in order to, to do their best work, they also need to take care of themselves or, or get burned out and, you know, well, and how end up leaving the profession. Or, yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, and how powerful for their leader to be the first one who's sort of pioneering it because there is something special about a nurse and a nurse manager saying, this is a valuable thing to prioritize and I'm going mm -hmm. to do it. Mm -hmm. And not in the sense of, and now you must not meditate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But like, I'm going to model it uh -huh. and you get to make a decision about what you want to do with that information. Mm -hmm. But there is something potent about a person that I respect, admire, and who's in charge in some way saying no no I'm even going to do this mm -hmm. so it, it gives a green light in a very special way I, I certainly hope so yeah if, I, if it, this helps people you know take better care of themselves and take their breaks and lunches mm -hmm. I'm all for it <laughs> yeah I mean and, and again it's I'm saying this as someone who struggles myself you know with mm -hmm. boundaries or being assertive or so it's definitely not like oh those silly nurses why do they <laughs> it's more like a, oh I get it yeah. um, and it must be even harder when you have people right in front of you that are in pain in some mm -hmm. way, shape, or form, and you think, yeah, I could take my lunch, but this person has a broken leg. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could take my lunch, but this person could die. Maybe I'll hold off. And it's like, yes, but if you do prioritize this, you'll be more effective in diagnosing. Like you mentioned mm -hmm. that about physicians. 
Yeah. That's yeah, huge. Absolutely. Awesome. Is there anything else as you're, you know, like you, in terms of as you're organizing this whole thing, um, let's say that you were, like, what would you say your biggest takeaways have been in designing this? Um, well, it's been, I've never been involved with a research project, um, before, so it's been a really interesting to go through the whole, the, go through the, move through the process, and there's very strict regulatory requirements. It has to be approved by the, the IRB, which is the Institutional Review Board, to make sure that, you know, that the research subjects are treated, um, um, correctly and with, you know, um, ethically. And each change, we've already been approved, but each change that we make, no matter how small it is, has to go back and be reviewed and approved by the Institutional Review Board. So there's a lot of oversight that goes on with that. And I mean, those rules are also, you know, kind of for serious medical research as well, which is obviously this is where there's potential risk, where this one is, there's not really a risk to the subject aside from, you know, potential data exposure, and even that's very carefully locked down. So, mm -hmm. but um, it, there's a lot of very careful review to pr protect the research um, um, participants. Um, and so, so it's been interesting working with our IRB and learning about that. Um, and just uh, putting a lot of thought into making sure that um, that the data we collect is meaningful and that we'll be able to have, you know, derive some meaning from it and hopefully publish it when we're done, mm -hmm. you know, and being really careful to make sure that the, that the design um, will, will give us that um, data that we need and um, to, to show that this has some validity to it. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's been a, a lot of learning um, and uh, continues to be. We were just talking, we met today and we were talking about, you know, what do we do if the data doesn't, <laughs> doesn't prove and, and how that would still be meaningful too to other people to, or other, like, other health institutions to learn, to learn from what we've done and how they might design something for their um, um, employees, mm -hmm. you know, how this might be replicated. Um, and how our data could be used to benefit other people and just kind of the overall body of knowledge around this. How will you know it was successful? Like what is the metric that you're using to measure success? So um, as we talked about, happiness is there's not like a set definition for it. Absolutely. So we <laughs> so we spent a lot of time looking. There's actually lots of different ways to measure it sort of out in the research world. And we picked the subjective happiness scale, which is a seven point, seven point scale mm -hmm. um, where people assess their own happiness. Um, so when we're done, hopefully it will have increased. Their subjective happiness will have increased significantly from the start of the project to the, or the start of the um, baseline data till when they've con concluded the project compared to the control group. Gotcha. I'm not sure what we've said as a significant number, but I know that we have a very uh, awesome data person that's helping us with it. <laughs> so I don't know exactly what that number is. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> but that's, that's how we will be measuring it. And so. how many subjects are in the study? I don't know if that's information you can share or... I um, I, it, well, we're still enrolling, so I'm not sure where we're at right at the moment. I think we've gotten the minimum amount that we needed, which was 50, so 100 total, 50 in each arm of the study, and then we have a maximum of 200 total, so it would be 100 wow. in each arm of the study. So, and do they have to be balanced? So if you got a hundred in one arm and only yeah, fifty in they, the other, they're ran when somebody signs up to do it, they're randomly assigned to one arm or the other. Gotcha. Or, yeah, so, so it needs it to be, be even. It needs to be even, so we, yeah, can compare the data. Gotcha. So. And then, is there any protocol you have in place for those who don't show up to the like? Is there a percentage acceptance rate for those who forget to do the survey at the end? Are they like, oh, I, I dropped out or I did this? Like, yeah. Well, we're hoping to recruit so more than the minimum. <laughs> so that way, because I, you know, they anticipate a dropout rate of a, of a certain amount. I don't know what, what number that will be. But yeah, right. we're hoping to have more than the minimum so that we can, even with the drop, if certain people don't complete it, then we'll still have our minimum. 
Gotcha. Yeah. I know it's so interesting when I read the studies as the academic person, it's sort of, I take it for granted. Like, oh, this is inf- interesting mm-hmm. information. It's when you're the person designing it and recruiting the people on though and having to basically corral cats and because all humans mm-hmm. are, you know, they have, life happens and oh, sure. they forget yeah, and, yeah. you know, they have the best of intentions to complete the thing and mm-hmm. then don't. And it's like, oh no. Um, are you, are there like reminders set throughout the study or what, what is it that helps people like me to remember <laughs> to do the thing? <laughs> yeah, there, there's this whole sort of schematic of, uh, a point. Nancy is our, is our contact person that she's the principal investigator and she has all the interaction with the people that are doing the study to keep it, you know, confidential. And she has a set rubric of like, you know, they fill out the, they, contact her they receive the consent and then at various points if they haven't responded then she has a spot where she touches base with them at at given times and you know it's all very like (laughs) um with certain reminders and so they're given some chances and reminders before they're considered you know if they don't complete things gotcha before they're dropped from the study so well, and I remember, too, one of the parameters or one of the criteria for someone who wanted to participate mm-hmm. was that they needed to not have read the book already. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, why was that important? Well, I think what we wanted to do is have, you know, people sort of a fresh set of eyes. Like, we wanted their, because we're collecting the baseline data, we wanted them to not have had any exposure with the book or the principles or, you know, um, so just kind of coming into it without any preset knowledge of it mm-hmm. um, and then see wh- what impact the book had makes during after the, you know when they complete the book and the and the um, 21 day challenge so, I, so it's almost like if I have read it already I'm getting a leg up because maybe mm-hmm. I've been working on this stuff for two mm-hmm. years or five yeah. years and so then if it's two years plus 21 days that's very different than just 21 days mm-hmm. that yeah. makes a lot of sense yeah and yeah. we have had some people that were, you know, that participated, that did some of our in more informal groups that were like, yeah, I kind of want to do it, but that, but unfortunately they, you know, they have, there's an attestation that they have to complete that says I have not read the book. Uh-huh. So I think maybe there's, you know, some people that have just read a few pages and that's fine, you know, but if you've read a, you know, good portions of the book, then probably it's sort of like to participate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the third grader being brought into a second grade. Uh, you know, it's just like, yeah, I mean, theoretically you could, but yeah. it's not really giving us the information we want to know. Yeah, it's just, it's just to really like protect our data and, and make sure that it's valuable and, you know, meaningful. Yeah. And it's great to know that the happiness is becoming something that we can track or that we're, people are attempting to. Isn't it interesting? We live in a culture where we have to now refer back to data and, you know, <laughs> I mean, like, um, but I'm... I'm, I'm a nerd. I love uh-huh. data. And so anytime there's a thing that a person is working on, for the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, show me the data. <laughs> Where's the data? <laughs> yeah, it was interesting, like, going when we were preparing for this to read the different, different studies and that a lot of people have done a lot of thinking about this and have struggled to find or have, you know, worked on different ways to measure it. It's kind of, it was, it was fascinating for me. <laughs> to, I hadn't been aware of that that area of science as much before and so that was really interesting to look mm-hmm. at that and think about it and I don't know it's just it was very interesting yeah well it's standing at the intersection between you know like the woo-woo you know holistic or alternative or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it and the more clinical westernized model and for both to be able to stand at the intersection and say you know how can we validate both of these in a way that speaks the same language to each mm-hmm. um, and brings the most satisfaction to people in their lives wherever they're at, whichever language they prefer, whether, again, it's the clinical or the the softer language. Sort of like, um, I'm thinking, we were talking earlier about Brene Brown before mm-hmm. we started the recording. Oh, but yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> that sort of like, a, what did she call herself, researcher storyteller? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it sounds like you're trying to do something like that, but for happiness. Yes, yes, I think that I think that's an accurate way to describe it. It's, uh, yeah, oh, I feel like when we were when we were talking in the sort of preliminary planning stages of it, we were talking about, you know, there's some people that are like that will immediately go for the, this concept and be super interested and excited and believe in it, and then but then there's the skeptics, and they, we want to really want to reach the skeptics and see if maybe they can be, you know, 
introduced to these ideas and if it would be effective for them as well you know sort of I don't know <laughs> yeah in some ways they're even more interesting because yes like, I really want to know what happened in your mind yes yeah so that was a lot of something that we have discussed a lot well, if you if you were just talking to some ordinary, you know, Joe Schmo, and you know they were overheard that you were doing this about with the happiness advantage, and they just said, "I just want more information about how to get happier." Like, what resources mm-hmm. would you point someone to if you were sitting on the bus with them? You've only got uh-huh. a few minutes. Gosh, there's so much. There's I feel like there's so much out there right at the moment. <laughs> I mean, depending on what your interest is, and mm-hmm. but I mean, there's this book. There's that whole Gretchen Rubin. She has this huge body of work around around her personal exploration of. I think she's written like four different books, including the Happiness Project, and then she's done like around like. Um, like uh like just like cleaning and clutter around the home and she's done this thing about like tendencies and looking at she has a quiz that you can do and looking at like to sort of assess your um tendencies in terms of what motivates you to do things or not do things and then then you can take those tendencies and kind of use it to evaluate like how if you want to make a change what approaches might be more successful or less successful and yeah and she has a podcast and there's an app and that's awesome <laughs> there's enough for everything these there days. is yeah <laughs> I mean it's just like I feel like there's a lot out there and from different approaches depending on you know you kind of just look around and see what's more appealing most appeals to your your mind and what what media format is most meaningful for your reading or listening to a podcast or looking at an app or mm-hmm. so that is fabulous wow well Frida I can't thank you enough for coming on because this is really fabulous work that you're doing not just for the body of literature on the whole like you know for us data lovers but I think as one who appreciates leaders who walk mm-hmm. their talk, um, I think it's phenomenal that this is something that you're doing for the people that you work with. Um, so I'm saying thank you personally, oh. <laughs> but also professionally. So that's incredible. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And if, if it's okay, if I, I want to add something too, yes. um, if it's all right, I, I feel like I'm like, this stuff is all very exciting, but I also hope that, um, you know, for people that are dealing with, you know, like mental health diagnoses or, you know, depression, things like that, that I feel like in our culture, sometimes we can be like, well, you can just read this book and, you know, you'll be happier or whatever. But, you know, these can be helpful interventions if you're dealing with some mental health issues, but not a substitute for, you know, like medication and therapy and things like that. So I guess, I guess one, one caution that I feel with a lot of this is that, I just hope it doesn't get misused to, I don't know what the best way to say this, but it gets misused as a way like, well, you should be able to figure this all out on your own by just, you know, reading and doing some research. But, you know, that, um, uh, that, you you know, professional help and, uh, and uh, it's, it's also appropriate too if you find yourself in that category of, you know, just... Yeah, that's something, uh, you know, as someone who works in the wellness arena, Uh I think what I love most, and I say this all the time in Uh a multitude of contexts, what I love about health and wellness or holistic health or, Mm -hmm. again, whatever, however you want to frame it or language you want to use, is that it's attempting to take back some of the power from the medical arena and Mm -hmm. give, give it back to us as individuals and say to us, you know, you do have a measure of influence on your Mm -hmm. own outcomes in your own lives. And you are the, the, the master, the the specialist of your own life. Like Mm -hmm. you are the one who knows the most about you. And I love that in that it gives that sense of empowerment. Um, But I do think the shadow side of it is that it can have a tendency to say to someone, Oh, well, if you are in pain, mentally, physically, Mm -hmm. if you are uh, suffering, on some level, that's your fault. You must not have eaten enough broccoli or Mm -hmm. you didn't exercise enough. You didn't get enough sleep. You didn't, you know, whatever, eat your Wheaties. I don't care. Uh, And that is a a shadow side I hear. It's almost like healthism has become a thing where I'm I'm now allowed to be prejudiced in some way against you because you didn't practice enough self-care. That's a dangerous pathway that... 
I'm seeing on occasion come up and I um, I think it's a really wise caution to bring up yeah because you know just because you're suffering and sad and you read this book and it doesn't scratch that itch it doesn't really give you that sense of relief that you need Mm -hmm. that doesn't make make it that there's it doesn't mean there's nothing anything wrong with you asking for support asking for help is still incredibly valuable this is just a set of tools that might help support you in that endeavor in addition to oh absolutely yeah I kind of I feel like it's kind of like you can try they're like little experiments that you can try in your life to to see if it helps or not but yeah it's not it's Mm -hmm. like like you said just a a portion of the tools that are available to you but not (laughs) the only tools (laughs) yeah and if it doesn't work like I loved how you said uh, when you were talking about the experiment itself Mm -hmm. or the Mm -hmm. the study you're doing where it's like, of course, we hope that it yields a positive effect. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't, that's still really useful information. Mm-hmm. And that's the true spirit of science. It's that, com- that, to the best of your ability, let go of the outcome. It's sort of that we have a question and we have a hypothesis. Like, here, here's our experiment we want to run. Our hypothesis is that if people use these tools, they'll end up feeling better than before they started. And if we end up being proven wrong, it was still a very successful experiment where you mm-hmm. successfully proved that it doesn't necessarily help to use these tools. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, that's a fabulous sort of philosophy to live by in life. It's like, I'm going to try this new job. Mm-hmm. And my hypothesis is that this is going to be better than my last one. And if mm-hmm. you end up being wrong, it was a successful experiment in trying a new job where you determined that that's not in fact making your life better. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in the same way, if you try these tools and the, again, they don't end up helping the way you thought they would, it's like, well, that was still a very successful experiment and all the more useful when you do seek help. Mm-hmm. And when you are talking to a psychiatrist even, for example, mm-hmm. and say, hey, these are the things I've tried and this is why I know I need your help because I've come this far and I, I'm at my wit's end. So that's important to keep in mind, too. Anything else that, you know, any closing statements or thoughts that you would want to make sure people walked away from before we close? Um, I, th- I think that's all. I appreciate the opportunity for um, for talking to you today. Uh, I've never been on a podcast before, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been such a pleasure. You're natural. <laughs> well, thank you again. Thank you. All right.